If you want to turn to Psalm 84, Psalm 84 in your Bibles, that will be our text for the morning. By the way, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to be with you guys. I've missed being with you in person, so this is nice. Uh, Psalm 84, we'll have it up on the screen as well. So if you don't have a Bible, no sweat. We got you covered. The Miami Dolphins are winning football games. So that's pretty amazing. I'm hoping that Tannehill, Tannehill's it today. And uh, God knows we had to live with the curse that was his quarterbacking. So hopefully we get a blessing from it and he gives us a victory. But that's not the point. I'm going to talk about Jesus, okay? There's no Tennessee Titan fans in here, are there? I'll still love you. Okay, Jeff, I see you shaking your head. That's good. Just be on the lookout. All right. Perfect. Psalm 84, if you're ready, say preach, preacher. Thank you very much. Here we go. For the director of music, according to Giddeth, of the sons of Korah, a psalm. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. Does that sound familiar to anybody? We just sang it. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. It's okay, it's not called plagiarism. It's what Christians do. We take these words and we sing them and we say them and we talk them and we memorize them. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near the altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed. Everybody say blessed. Hashtag blessed. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Now hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing. Man, this is a good Bible verse right here. Some of y'all are like, I'm starting the new year, meditating on his promises. Go ahead and jot this one down. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. You're like, who's that? Nobody. (laughs) But through Jesus, come on. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Let's pray. Jesus, speak to our hearts this morning and stir our devotion. If you agree, say amen. You can find your seats, give a neighbor a high five, an elbow bump, an air high five, a kiss on the lips if you're married to them. Hey, yo, trying to help you out. Thank you, pastor. I was talking to a friend and they shared something, they uttered something that I have a feeling more than just they can relate to. We were talking about the last several years which have been full of all sorts of pain and turmoil in the midst of some positive things that have happened as well. And they said, you know, in light of it all, John, I just feel like the past few years, it's just felt like a curse. Anybody relate to that feeling? Like, man, you read through the Old Testament, you're like, it sure feels like the Old Testament came alive in the 2020s of of America and the planet. Whether it be pandemic or mistakes or anxiety or loss or stress or industry shutting down, we all love the new year across the globe because we long for a new day. 
There's something in us that just knows. We feel it. We're like, man, we need a reset. Like, is there, you remember those old Nintendo game systems? I'm aging myself here. And you're, you, once you try to do everything that you can, you blow on the cartridge and it doesn't work. And then what do you do? You do the tech support dream. You turn it off and turn it on. It's like, man, I wish there was a reset button for the world. Like, can we just hit the reset button and try this thing over? Because this is sure felt like a nightmare that we're all living. Which is why I couldn't shake this psalm. Psalm 84 holds a special place in the Holy Scriptures. Charles Spurgeon calls it the crown of all psalms. It's written by one guy who was in one place wishing he was in another. Some of you ladies are like, that sounds like my husband whenever there's a TV and we're at a restaurant. Okay, it's football. It's a gift from God. We're just trying to celebrate with him. Um, Sorry, Nancy. But there's a fascinating point of this psalm that begins even before the first verse. It says at the very beginning, like often the psalms do, it gives authorship. It says, for the director of music, according to Giddith, which would have been some sort of ancient ditty they had there, of the sons of Korah, a psalm. Korah, does that name sound familiar to anybody? Korah is a guy from the Bible. He actually comes from the very beginning of the story, all the way back in the book of Numbers. God's people had been rescued by God from slavery in Egypt. They were going through their wilderness journey. And in the midst of that situation, someone starts complaining about the boss. His name was Korah. Korah came along. He was one of the Levites. They had been specifically designated by God to help the people worship. They were like the ancient format of the worship leaders. And so Korah got together and he's like, man, what's so good about Moses and Aaron? He said, what, what's so special about them? We could do what, exactly what they're doing. And Moses and Aaron were like, well, we didn't ask for this job. God just kind of told us to do it. He's like, no, no, no. And so Korah apparently had some clout in his position of authority. And so Korah gathered together about 250 other people in this rebellion against the man that, men that God had chosen to lead the people, Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron are like, we don't, we don't exactly know. I guess ask God. And so God responded in resounding fashion and the earth swallowed. Korah and all his 250 followers and all of their families up. You thought you had a bad leader, right? It's crazy. This is the story that happens, and this is this man, Korah, and, and then we don't really hear anything else about Korah until Numbers 26, 10 chapters later, where we're just given this little hint. It says this, and 250 died, which became a warning to the people of God. You think? If your boss got eaten and swallowed alive, you probably would be like, okay, I'm listening now. Where I need to go? I'm, I'm changing companies. It says 250 died and became a warning, but the sons of Korah did not die. And then we don't hear anything else. It's, it's this interesting little clue. Apparently, this man, Korah, and, and 250 other people that followed him, a bunch of these Levites and a bunch of these religious leaders, apparently a bunch of people followed Korah in his rebellion, but his sons... Did not. Now, we're not told explicitly in the biblical narrative why. Maybe they were too young. Maybe they had a little bit more humility than their father possessed. But what we do know is they pop back up in the Psalms as worship leaders, leading the people of God in worship to God. And it really begs a question, why keep their names in there? 
Like, I don't know if you've ever had sort of shameful moments in your past, but you typically don't, don't broadcast that for the rest of your life. You're like, oh, remember that one time? I, you know, I showed up in the mismatched socks. That was awesome. You, talk, you wear the mismatched socks. It's not your trademark. This was their worst moment, and yet they come out of this psalm with, and here's a psalm written by, they could have just named the poor guys. Shmuley and whatever, Mordecai. I don't know what their names would have been. Good Jewish names, but they didn't give them anything. They said, and here's a song written by who? The sons of Korah, why? Because God is reminding us something about himself. Namely, he is a God of redemption. The sons of Korah have a place because God is giving us right here in the little subtext, the tiny little letters before the verse even starts, he's giving us a hope for a reset. The magical thing that we hope that the new year has suddenly like, oh man, it's gonna be a new year. And then you wake up, you're like, new year, but it's the same me. Anybody else feel that? You're like, wow, nothing, nothing changed. The, the, the thing we're longing for that the magical new year will not do, God can. And the moral of the story is this. You do not have to be defined by the mistake of your fathers or by the mistakes of your family or by the mistakes of your past. There's a God of redemption. That's good news, y'all. That's some good news. These sons of Korah apparently get a new trademark and it's not the people of rebellion. They come to be known as the God seekers and the leaders of men and women to love and seek God. They become ancient worship leaders and psalmists, redefining the very name and finding the blessing of God. The question is, how did this happen to them? Which takes us to the next question, how could this happen to me? And it's one word. I want you to write this word down if you're taking notes. It is the word that this whole sermon hinges on. One word, devoted. Turn to a neighbor and say devoted. Turn to another neighbor and say it like you mean it. Say devoted. Devoted. They were devoted to his courts, to his house, to his name, to his glory, to seeking his face. Here's my big idea. You can jot it down and then we'll unpack it in the next few moments together. The people who see blessing are the people who seek God. Amen. Thank you for all one of you excited. The people who see blessing are the people who seek God. So what does that look like? What does it, what does it look like to move from curse into blessing? There's three blessings in this chapter, and I'll follow that framework if you're taking notes. The first one comes from Psalm 84, verse 4, which we just read together. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Point number one is blessed are those who dwell in your house. Any parents out there? How many parents are out there? One of the most, the, God's greatest gift to parents are grandparents. Can I get an amen? Amen. My kids love going to their Nana's house. My mom, we call her Nana. My kids love going to Nana's house. They, when mom and dad leave, sometimes like, where are you going? And then they get a little nervous. They're gonna miss mom and dad. And it feels kind of nice. Like, oh, they love me. And then I'm like, well, you're, go, you're going to Nana's. They're like, well, when are you leaving? I was like, man, that's, that turned around quick. They love going to their Nana's house. Now, now, my mom, she's an incredible, amazing disciple and leader, but my mom was, is also a former kindergarten teacher. I mean, she's got like next level grandparent skills. My son, he'll come over Nana's house and, and he'll show up at Nana's house and he's like, he runs up and he's like, all right, Nana, what activities are we doing today? Activities? 
what do you got? She's got like little stations set up. I'm like, what is this? Like Nana's preschool that he's got? I'm like, Nana, you're setting this bar way too high. Like he comes home. He's like, dad, what activities? I was like, uh, sweeping activity and the, the, uh, the, the vacuum cleaner activity. You know, I'm trying to, he wasn't into those activities for whatever reason. But my, my son, I mean, my, our, my, our daughter, Lucy, my wife and I have a, a daughter. She's two. She loves, is it Nana day? Nana day. She gets so excited. She starts jumping up and down. Nana day. I mean, they love going to Nana's house. And these sons of Korah echo that sentiment. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. See, the point with my kids is the point with these sons of Korah. The, the dwelling place, the house, it's actually not about the house. My kids don't love the brick and mortar that my mom lives in. They're not in love with the architecture of her condo. They're like, oh my goodness, it's just so well done. And look at the structure here. What do they love? They love what happens at the house. They love who lives in the house. When these sons of Korah are saying, God, how lovely is your dwelling place? They're talking about this. The the tabernacle or the temple is where God lived. It's where God's presence dwelt. These sons of Korah are essentially saying, man, there's nothing like the presence of God. How lovely is your dwelling place? God, my soul, look at what they say. Verse two, for my soul yearns, it longs, it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. IG mentioned this at the beginning as we got ready to go into worship. They, they use this intensely emotional language. Like I thought spirituality and the way of Jesus wasn't supposed to be about emotions. It's not supposed to be about only emotions, but we're called to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The psalmist says, man, my soul longs. He's in this one place wishing he was in another. This, these guys are literally distracted by their longing for God. They're like, man, I'm supposed to be here in this meeting. I'm just longing for God. I'm supposed to be here and I'm writing the song. I'm just longing for God. They are literally distracted by their longing for God. What a thought. I remember when, when Nancy first caught my eye, the devil had still blinded her eyes to the fact that God's will was, you know, standing before her. So it's spiritual warfare. And, um, and so I was trying to get her attention, and I had moved into uh, to a place with a guy named Conroy that was relatively close to Nancy, as as fate had it, right? You know, thank you, Lord, for that wingman there. And um, and Conroy was an interesting dude. Uh, Conroy did not have internet. This was in like the modern era. He didn't have Wi-Fi. And he's like, bro, you know, I can get it. I don't know, I've just been, I was like, what do you do? Like, who are you? He's like, oh, you didn't have Wi-Fi. Nate's laughing because he remembers this. He didn't have Wi-Fi. And so he, he was like, you want me to get it and turn it on? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, no. See, because I knew there was a certain Nancy Melendez then that lived just down the road that did have Wi-Fi. Oh, yeah. And I quickly developed a passion, a deep longing, you could say, for checking my email. My soul longed to check my email. I couldn't wait to the end of the day when I could text her and say, hey, sorry, Conroy, you know, can I come check my email? I would check my email for hours. Hours upon hours, very important emails that I would send myself and respond to at great length. Her roommate was like, John's always here checking his email. I think he likes you. He's like, no, no, no. He just has a lot of email. I'm like, mm-hmm. 
I would pay people to send me emails. I'm like, y'all need you to send me an email right now. I, got I remember sitting at home where we could have easily had Wi-Fi, and I was in one place, but I was longing for another. The Melendez household of email. That's how the psalmist feels about God. He's totally using relationship language here. He's totally using heart and soul language here. We're supposed to read this and be like, simultaneously inspired and gut-checked all at once. There's this big word that, that I feel like God put on my heart for, for this year. Every year for the past five, six years now, I've, I've paused during the month of December to ask the CEO of Greenhouse, which is not me and it's not Mike Patz, it's Jesus, Lord, what are you saying to this church family? Like, where do you want us going? What's the direction that you want us going in? Where do you want us setting our sights? Because Lord, we're not just some business. We're not just some organization. We're not just some entity. We're your church. Give us marching orders. And the word that popped up over and over and over again is this word devoted, devoted. In Acts chapter two, verse 42, we're about to start this Acts series next week. We talk about it all the time. We long to be a book of Acts church in the 21st century. This is how they were described. It says, and they devoted themselves, Acts 2.42, to the apostles' doctrine and preaching, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And then all this incredible kingdom stuff happened, but it was all precipitated by the grace of God and the devotion of very ordinary people who devoted themselves to God, his word, his ways, his people, and his mission. And as I've begun reflecting on this season, I think a lot of things have happened in our lives, but the reality is for so many of us, it's not just Christians, it's humans, we have drifted. Lots of other D words that can work here. It's not devotion. We've drifted, we've gotten distracted, it's been disoriented, and it's been full of destruction. I ran out of D words there, but, but I sense very strongly in my heart God is calling us back to devotion. We've got this 21 days of prayer and fasting. It's all about devotion. It's all about saying, God, I want to long for you like Psalm 84. I want, I, some of us remember, I mean, even right now, close your eyes for a second. If you don't know Jesus, you're like, I don't remember anything. If you know Jesus though, do you remember a time where you could not wait to get in his word? Do you remember a time where you got one of the most exciting thoughts of your life is that you could spend time with God? Do you remember a time where he seemed so near, where he seemed so close? Open your eyes. God hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. He's still that same God. In fact, the promise of his word is we can move from glory to glory. But life is hard, and especially in this season, it's been brutal. And so as a result, so many of us, we've drifted. We've drifted in our relationships with people, right? We started off this pandemic with physical distancing, and we literally couldn't go and see one another. We were out of a car, you know, care and concern for other people. We wanted people to be healthy and safe and all these things. We drifted in our relationships. We drifted in our passion. We drifted in our purpose. We drifted in all sorts of things, and often and we've drifted in our relationship with God. And my heart and my prayer and really my single focus in this whole diatribe that I'm going on right here is that we would be called back during these 21 days to wholehearted devotion to God. The psalmist says, my soul longs. We're doing 21 days of prayer, consecration, and here it is, the Christian F word, fasting. Ooh. Fasting. I have shared publicly, I, I, I know I'm a pastor and I'm supposed to be like spiritual and float over the, I have a very hard time with fasting, namely because I like food. 
Nobody else? Amen? No? No? Okay, cool. I like to eat. Fasting is hard for me. And yet every single time, I see the deep and significant benefit of it. When we fast, it gets us longing for food. We find ourselves thinking about food. If you fasted for a prolonged period of time, maybe you find yourself dreaming about food. What fasting is supposed to do is it's supposed to trigger our thinking for how we should be longing about God. Every time that you spend time fasting that you're not supposed to be eating, it's not just like, oh, sweet, now I'm going to diet and start my new year off fit and, and spiritual. It's, it's, it, you are supplementing time with food for time with God, but it's supposed to trigger our thinking. And as we begin this year, and maybe we started this year in a time of reflection, I want to ask the question, what do you long for? I mean, genuinely, not like, the, not like the churchy right answer, like, God. Okay, cool. Hopefully, maybe, but, but I mean, what, what do you long for? Like, deeply, genuinely keeps you up at night in one place, and you're distracted thinking about it, long for. Maybe it's significance, recognition, pleasure. Ask yourself, has your longing for God begun to wane? Has it disappeared altogether? If that is the case, here's my advice to you. Try fasting. The tricky part about passion for God is there's no like passion button you can hit the reset on. Like there's, a, you can't manufacture passion. You can't choose whether that passion comes or not, but you can choose to fast. And guess what fasting does? Makes you desperate for God. See, the psalmists are right here in that they realize we will never walk in his blessing apart from his presence. They say, blessed are those who dwell in your house. It's just a fact. In his presence, I am so different. In his presence, you are so different. In his presence, all of a sudden, I get better. I get wiser. I get more patient. I get more peaceful. I get more hopeful. I become a better dad. Come on, somebody. I become a better husband when I'm in his presence. And in the midst of a world obsessing about we want the hashtag blessed life, the psalmist laid out clearly it is only in his presence. Psalm 36 says, for with you, God, is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. They make the case that we're not even seeing things clearly until we are in his presence. Are we devoted to being in his presence, to inviting his presence into our business, into your friend group, into your home? You're like, John, what exactly are you talking about when you talk about his presence? I, I, I can't fully quantify this. It's more of a relationship than it is a science, but you know it when you experience it. In his presence, everything changes. And he promised his presence to those who seek. Number one, blessed are those who dwell in your house. And point number two, blessed are those whose strength is in you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. You. Psalm 84 verse 5 says this, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. When is the busiest day of the year at the gym? Maybe not right now in the midst of Omicron spike, but when is it typically? January 1st. Everybody knows it. Why? Because we intuitively know I want to or I should be stronger than I am right now. Piggyback on that emotion. The psalmist says, blessed are those whose strength is in him. Scripture says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The problem with humans is that we are so prone to be strong in so many other things. 
A lot of us have gotten strong in our knowledge of cryptocurrency. A lot of us have gotten strong in our knowledge of the stock market. We've gotten strong in sports. We've gotten strong in intellect. We've gotten strong in fitness. Not that any of these things are bad in and of themselves, but all of them will wear out, and especially with sports and the Miami Dolphins, they will break your heart. They will. Which is one reason fasting is so effective. It forces us to depend on God for strength. How many of you have tried fasting before? How many of you enjoyed it thoroughly? (laughs) Right. How many of you can acknowledge that it did something in you? Right? I don't go to the gym personally because I love working out. Some of you love working out. God bless you. I wish I could delegate my working out to you and let you do it for me. I personally don't go to the gym because I love working out. I go to the gym because I know the benefits are worthwhile and I want to live a healthy, long life, God willing, for my wife and children. I endure the gym because I know what it does in the long run. Same vision with fasting. That's how, John, I know I should, that's how John, your pastor, thinks about fasting. I'm going to suffer through it because I know it does amazing things in me and around me. And I want more of Jesus. Psalm 84, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage as they pass through the valley of Baja. They make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. This is one of the things I love about this Psalm and about the path of Jesus in general. This word Baja in Hebrew means weeping. If you were reading this in English, it would say uh, that those who are walking through as they pass through the valley of weeping is what that would actually say to the original audience. As they pass through the valley of weeping, they make it a place of springs. This is communicating that the reality of the path of Jesus is one that will not be without valleys and sorrow and disappointments and doubts. This is part of the path of the devoted. If you experience hardship and suffering like many of us have in this season, it doesn't mean you're going the wrong direction. Often it means you're in exactly the right direction. It's part of the path. Valley of Baja, Valley of Weeping. That's something I'm sure we can all relate to in some way or another in this season. The pilgrimage to God, this path of the devoted, it will inevitably include weeping. Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome it. Disappointment, loss, heartbreak, wounds, intended and unintended, people will let us down. And the reminder here from these sons of Korah is that we should not and we don't have to be distracted by it. Don't despair, don't give up. This is part of the path and a lot have gone before us. He says, they go through the valley of Baja and he talks about this pilgrimage. Many pilgrims end up turning back when they hit this valley of Baja. Jesus shared this in the parables. He says in Mark 4, the parable of the sower, others are like seeds sown on rocky places. They hear the word, they receive it with joy, but, when they, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The encouragement here is, The psalmists lay this out. They don't just paint some rosy, idealistic picture. It's an honest picture. They're like, man, God's presence, it's amazing. God's house, it's what I long for. It's what I desire. And when I go through inevitable weeping and suffering that this life will bring, don't cast off your devotion when the going gets tough. On one hand, it's very godly and appropriate to acknowledge the pain and suffering of the season. God sees God knows, God cares. And yet on the other hand, we continue to press forward because we acknowledge while suffering is a part of the path, it is not where the path ends. 
It's just a part of the journey. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Verse six, as they pass through the valley of Baja, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. You're like, what, what's up with that path of springs? What is he saying here? He's, he's using a metaphor in a largely agrarian society based in the Middle East where rain and water was precious and life-giving and yet hard to come by. He's saying that when we go through the valley of weeping, we make it a place of strings, uh, springs. In other words, when we struggle as followers of Jesus, as those devoted to his path, to his ways, when we struggle but continue to walk, we actually end up watering other pilgrims. The moral of the story is God does not waste suffering. He doesn't waste the valley of weeping. He doesn't waste tears. He's so good, he's so loving, he's so amazing. He can actually use it not just for your growth and development, but for the flourishing of others going through hard times as well. There's this guy in our microchurch that over the course of the past year, I've just come to love. I mean, he's, just, he's a fun guy. I love his personality. And um, but he's, just, he's just been going through it. It's been, it's been a tough season. And, and so we've talked a bunch together. We've prayed a bunch together. We've prayed together about, you know, my mom is in the process of going through a, a cancer battle and thank God it's going well. But we've prayed together about that and I've prayed with him about his stuff. And, and at one point, he's, man, I don't know what I can do. And I'm like, listen, bro, just keep showing up. Come to microchurch every single week. Come to church every single Sunday. Just keep, if you could just keep showing up, I'm telling you, God's gonna meet you. God's people are gonna wrap around you. You're gonna walk out feeling more encouraged than you walk in. I'm telling you, sometimes it's Ephesians 6, after having done everything in a tough season, you just gotta stand. You just gotta show up. So all year long, you just kept showing up. Just kept showing up. Just, just being real. And, but it's been a tough season. And I started thinking about this verse, blessed are those whose strength is in you. He gave me a call this week and, and he's like, hey man, I, you know, I've, I, I had this dream and, and I felt like God wanted me to, to pray with, with my coworkers. Like there was something God wanted me to do with my coworkers. It's been a hard season for everybody, especially people in my job. And, and, and so I was like, oh, you know, I didn't really know what it meant. And then, and then at work, a coworker just randomly started sharing about this really hard situation they were going through and, and I knew it. I knew I was supposed to pray with them. Like, and I wimped out. I didn't do it. I'm like, oh. He's like, and, and then another opportunity arose and I, I sensed it. You ever had that nudge? You're like, you're, you know it's the Holy Spirit. I described before that's like, do, 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 do. your heart starts beating. You're like, why am I sweating right now? What's happening? You're like, it's God. Ah. And he's like, I knew I was supposed to, I knew I was supposed to pray with them and I didn't do it. He said, and I finally got to a point. I'm like, man, I, I've been, I've been reaching out, I've been asking for prayer, I've been doing all this stuff, I've been going through this hard season. I know what sort of change God has made in my life. I know that he's given me strength and he's given me hope. He's like, God, just give me one more shot and God, just give me the guts to go for it. He said, he saw the guy again, he's like, I'm just gonna go for it. Even if, even if it's, he's like, I know he's not a faith person, I'm a coworker, but even if he thinks I'm weird, at least he knows I care. So he's like, hey man, I, I know you're going through it and with family, like, would you mind if I pray for you? And the guy was like, uh, yeah, sure. Starts praying for the coworker. The coworker starts weeping, bawling, just. It's like, that's amazing. He's like, well, it made for a really awkward day at work because like the whole day the coworker's like, you know, like, what do you do when you pray for some dude at work and all of a sudden they're like bawling. You're like, hey, it was a, the, the, the what's up thing doesn't really work anymore after that. So he got really weird. He said, and then the coworker came up to me and said, hey man, I, I, I'm sorry, I kind of lost it there. He's like, no, that's fine, man. I just, are you okay? He's like, well, when you said what you said and did what you did decades ago, the exact moment happened 
where someone put their arm around me like you did and prayed like you did. And it was this flat, like it was this whole like 10 plus year long divine thing God was doing that this guy had no idea. He's like, man, that was incredible. I'm like, bro, blessed are those whose strength is in you. It was so, I was so proud of this guy. I'm like, man, bro, this is what happens. Even when you're going through hard seasons, God is so incredible. Not only will he use it to strengthen you, but he so loves the world that he wants to use you in your tough season to be a strength and encouragement to somebody else. It's what we're created for. It's why we're still on this planet. It's amazing. Strength is not the absence of weeping in valleys. It's the presence of God. Devote yourself to his presence. Here's the application as I get ready to wrap up here. I'm asking, I'm praying, I'm pleading with you online in the room that you would join us in these 21 days of prayer, consecration, and fasting. This is, by the way, where these sons of Korah go. They wrap up the psalm. They say, oh God, hear our prayer. These sons of Korah apparently were accustomed to giving God something to work with. They were not just giving their heart, but they were giving him their prayers. There are lots of days where we're gonna fast and play and run around and do all sorts of crazy stuff. And on the 23rd, we'll have a seven year anniversary and we'll have fun and food and stuff out there for the families. But for the next 21 days, I am hoping, I am longing that we as a church family would say, God, we devote ourselves to seek your face. If we want book of Acts realities, we're gonna devote ourselves to book of Acts priorities. And they were devoted to God. They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to his word. Today's day two. You still got plenty of time. You're like, oh, I missed it. Nope, 21 days. You're only on day two. You got plenty of time to jump in. The info's on our website. There's a bunch of different things. We've got morning prayer every single Tuesday at 6.30 a.m. So if you're like, man, I have a hard time praying, come and we'll have people there and you'll, you'll, you'll be able to focus because there's other people. And if you fall asleep, they'll come wake you up and then you'll be all right, all right? Accountability. We've got a whole prayer guide every single day. You're like, I don't even know what to pray. We got you covered. Every single day is mapped out with this prayer guide. If you're like, well, what if I forget? You could text the number on the screen and you'll get a prompt with the prayer guide every single day so you don't forget, which by the way is exactly what I did. Encourage you to do so as well. Join us in this. There's no law that we're putting down here. Here's my hope and prayer. The call is for extraordinary consecration. What that means is whatever you would ordinarily do, do extra extraordinary, extraordinary. See where that word comes from? There you go. So whatever you would ordinarily do, do extra. Even right now, if it helps you, I literally wrote down, I'm like, God, I I want to love you more. God, I want to see you move. I want you to do some incredible things in my life, in my heart, in my friends, in my coworkers, in my neighbors. Lord, I want more of you. I wrote down personally what I'm gonna be doing. I'd encourage you to do the same. Do it today. Do it today before the week kicks in, the new year kicks in, everything gets crazy and busy and make some room. We sung that today. Make some room for him. This is, one of, this is a tangible way you could follow through on that song. God, I'm gonna set apart some extra time. I'm gonna set apart some extra time in your word. I'm gonna set apart some extra time during this 21 days in prayer. I'm gonna set apart some extra time by saying no to some meals and I got my lunch break. So boom, there's an extra hour of prayer right there. Look at that, it's like magic. God, I'm gonna make room for you, all for the purpose of deeper devotion to God, his presence, his plan, his word. Maybe you're in the midst of the valley of Baca, the valley of weeping right now. Bring him your tears. Maybe you need direction, you need wisdom. Come to him and say, God, you promised if anyone lacks wisdom, you'd give it. God, give me wisdom. Maybe you're lacking longing, spiritual passion. Give fasting a try. I'm telling you, it does something in your soul. at the end of the day, it's not because our our good works or our great efforts will save the day because they won't. 
but he can and he will. Which brings us to this final blessed. Blessed is the one who trusts in you. The sons of Korah wrap up verse 10. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. I remember it was a few years ago now and Pastor Mike, who's my mentor and pastor, he's the lead pastor of Greenhouse Gainesville. We go back 17 years now and, and I remember him texting me and saying, hey bro, I got, I'm heading to the emergency room. Pray for Ruthie, his wife. She got in a car accident and it's bad. She was pulling out of the church and got hit by a semi-truck. It was a miracle she was even alive, broken hips, broken bones. They were not sure if she would ever walk again. And I remember talking with Pastor Mike because we sermon prepped together most weeks as he was going through this season. And the consistent refrain over and over was, man, John Ruthie is, she's just loves the Lord. He's like, I don't know how else to describe it. Like she's in excruciating pain, can't move. And all she wants to do is pray and weep and read the Bible and fast. And, and she's human and she's asking the whys. And she's like, but the, the, the whys and the frustration are so short lived in, in, in terms of the, consistent overwhelming times of her just pouring out love to God sure enough she did walk again she is walking again God did a miracle I mean she was spared in a very miraculous way and and I'm, I've watched Ruthie live this thing out and she's praying now she's like man I'm just gonna pray for if God did a miracle in my body I'm just gonna so she prays for people for healing all the time she'll pray for dead people she's like I don't care if I look stupid some at some point if, if people are gonna get raised from the dead like the Bible talks about someone has to pray for dead people I'll look like the fool that prays for dead people until they get raised. Like, there's this trust. I'm like, man, Ruthie Pats, blessed are those who trust in you. The sons of Korah end. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. How could they proclaim that so confidently? Because apparently it's something that they had experienced. They went from the sons of Korah, the, the literal leader of the rebellion, whose entire family got swallowed up in the earth to the worship leaders in ancient Israel. They had experienced the redemption firsthand. And for us as followers of Jesus, how can we know no good thing will he withhold? Because he already, Paul says, we trust in him who, did, who, who will withhold no good thing from us. He did not even spare his own son, but gave him to us as a sacrifice. Church, I'm, I'm calling us in this new year where there's so many distractions, where there's so many things we can get into, where there's all the investment possibilities and all the new hobbies and all the new side hustles and all the new, where there's all of the possibilities to give ourselves to things that are not necessarily bad. Would we set apart these first 21 days and develop the habit of giving ourselves to the best thing, to the most important things where we say, God, my heart and soul long for you. And if they don't long yet, then I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna fast and I'm I'm going to ask you to change my heart because I know I want them to. And if we get to that place, friends, there is no limit to what God can do. We live in a world that's broken. We live in a world that's hurting. We live in a world that's desperate. I don't know if you've asked a stranger lately, hey, can I pray for you? But you're going to get a lot more yeses in this moment than ever before. Why? Because people are looking and longing for hope. Let's lean into that. Why don't you bow your heads and we'll close in a moment of prayer.
Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you stir our hearts. David said it like this, Lord, return to me the joy of your salvation. Lord, the propensity of humans, especially in a season that's been so long and extended, Lord, we're, we're tired, we're weary, we're worn out. So many of us have drifted, we've gotten distracted. God, would you stir our hearts for you again with passion, with devotion? If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I've got great news for you. If you've come to the end of your rope and you're tired and you're weary and you're worn out and you're like, man, I was really hoping that something magical would happen. I know it sounds ridiculous, but I was hoping like at the start of a new year, I'd feel this new energy and this new vision and I, and I don't feel any of that. Welcome to the rest of us. It means you're, you're immortal. We're tired. Jesus speaks uniquely and specifically to this moment. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This morning, if you're watching online, if you're here in the room and you're like, man, I need something. I don't know what I need. I'll tell you what you need. You need Jesus. How do I know? Because we all need Jesus. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the burden lifter. He's the heavy weight bearer. And he's the longing of your soul. If you're here this morning, you want to put your trust in Jesus as forgiver, as Lord, as leader, as CEO, to find the joy. I'm not talking circumstantial happiness. I'm talking joy that is only found in him. I want to give you a moment to respond right now. If that's you and you're like, I, I, all this stuff about devotion, I just need to start the journey. And you want to put your trust in Jesus, wherever you're at, if you're online or here in the room, just shoot your hand up in the air and wave it at me. Say, you're talking to me, pastor. I, I need to start that journey. I need to start that journey. Wherever you're at, you can just begin in your own heart to, to just utter a prayer or something along the lines of, Jesus, I'm listening. You've got my attention. I trust you. Forgive me, help me. Maybe you're here and, and you're already a follower of Jesus, but, but you've lost your devotion. You've watched it wane. You remember a time where that passion was burning white hot and barely flickering. And you want to recommit to seeking him. Give him these 21 days. I know it just seems like some arbitrary number. It's, it, it's what we really felt like God wanted us to do to kick off this year. And I, the Lord's gonna do something. We know this about habits. You start a new habit somewhere around 21 or 28 days of consistent habitual action. Even right there, wherever you're at, say, God, my, my life is yours. It's almost a recommitment. God, my life is yours. God, my heart is yours. Let's stand to our feet together. We're gonna close in a final chorus. And uh, as we do that, if I can get some of our prayer partners up here to line the front, if you'd like prayer for anything, we would, we would love and be happy to pray with you. If you've got questions about what it means to follow Jesus, we would love to answer those and help you on your faith journey. But let's sing together and let's close out in worship. This is my surrender. 
of these sons of Korah who say my soul longs and even faints for God Lord we want to long for you we want to have devotion desire longing passion for you Lord would you stir that in our hearts during these next 21 days Lord would you do something in us so that during the course of this year as we become the type of people we long to be you can do something through us to bless and encourage and help a world that's, that's hurting, that's, that's longing. They don't know for what we know, it's for you. Lord, I pray a blessing over your people. God, would you bless them, keep them, make your face shine upon them and be gracious to them. Lift up your countenance upon them. Give them your shalom, shalom, perfect peace. In Jesus' name, love you, church. God bless you. Hope to see a bunch of you on Thursday night at Calvary Plantation at 7.30 for our first night of worship and prayer. If you need prayer, you're welcome to come forward. Otherwise, see you on Thursday. God bless.